Good afternoon. I'm Amanda Holloway, your host of Solving Water, a Xylem podcast. And today I'm pleased to welcome Xylem's Director of Government and Industry Relations, Josh Mahan, and to welcome back Eric Saperstein with ENS Resources, um, Xylem's federal policy advocate. So last year we had a discussion that focused on the early stages of infrastructure legislation and how it could impact the water industry. And now that the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act has passed, who better to talk us through where we're at with this than Eric and Josh. So thank you both for being here and welcome back, Eric. Great to speak with you again. If you could just start by uh, giving our listeners some background about what you do and specifically what you do for Xylem, that would be great. And then I'll ask Josh to do the same thing. Well, thank you, Amanda. I represent Xylem in Washington as a independent consultant on federal policy issues of interest to Xylem in the water sector, ranging from treatment technologies to basically advancing the modernization of the water sector's uh, responsibilities, if you will, for delivering safe and reliable water supplies. Prior to working for Xylem, I worked at the Environmental Protection Agency and then represented a number of organizations in the water sector, including the National Association of Clean Water Agencies, formerly known as AMSA, Association of Metropolitan Water Agencies, and organizations like that. Guess it's my turn, huh, Amanda? Yeah. <laughs> uh, first of all, thank you for having Eric and I. Eric and I go back quite a few years. As you mentioned, I'm Director of Government and Industry Relations at Xylem. I'm based out of Washington, D.C., and a lot of my focus is on making sure that Xylem has a voice in Washington, and we're tracking and monitoring the latest developments coming out of Congress, the administration, and beyond. I also uh, oversee our relationships with different trade associations, primarily in town, but even on a more national and global stage, just to make sure that our interests are aligned with what our trade associations are advocating for and making sure we're getting the best out of our investment in terms of engagement and activity. And then I also have the pleasure of overseeing the build out of the exciting new Reservoir Center for Water Solutions, a center for thought leadership we're opening along the banks of the Anacostia River, where we'll have our own recurring programming and, and perhaps someday we could even have a podcast about the new Reservoir Center as well. So I joined Xylem in May of 2021. I joined from the Senate Committee on Indian Affairs, where I focused on water, telecom, climate, environmental issues. I was at Department of the Interior for seven and a half years in their uh, Congressional Affairs Office, doing a lot of Western water policy. Worked for a couple of House committees and actually worked for Eric uh, many, many years ago, back when he first landed a uh, new client known as ITT that eventually we all know gave birth to the wonderful business that we know as Xylem. So again, thanks for letting us chat with you about the infrastructure bill. Absolutely. Really glad to have you here. And you know, that's like a full circle story, like the water cycle circle, which is a pretty bad <laughs> pun, but there you have it. So the infrastructure improvement bill has finally passed after more than a year in progress. And this is really a, a historic opportunity to create jobs, update crumbling systems and structures across the United States. I know that there are, or I understand that there are more than 300 unique or individual programs within this piece of legislation. And so I'd love it if you could give our audience an overview of the primary points of the law that apply to the water industry and other industries that Xylem participates in. Just the high points, if you can, if you from 300 to, you know, three, if you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, gladly do so. Gladly do so. So, Amanda, as, as you alluded to, Congress made the decision that rather than 
creating a bunch of new programs to fund infrastructure funding through, they elected to largely kind of increase funding for existing programs. And that was designed to ensure that money gets out the door as quick as possible, because a lot of these programs have existing criteria, existing processes to get the money out the door as, as quickly as possible. Broadly speaking, over the next five years, Congress will make available $550 billion for infrastructure funding. Kind of the water sector share of that is roughly around 12%. 2% of that 12 is for Western water infrastructure administered by the Bureau of Reclamation, and the other 10% largely flows through the Environmental Protection Agency. And then there's, you know, some other components for the Indian Health Services for kind of tribal water infrastructure. So, you know, the funding stream will be available beyond just five years. It's kind of zero year dollars, meaning it's not like the, you know, clock is ticking for the money to get spent in any given year. So even though the funding will be available for five years, it will continue beyond that. We have also identified a lot of programs in the infrastructure bill that provide opportunities for other businesses within Xylem that maybe are beyond the traditional water infrastructure. Things like, you know, $3 billion for grid resiliency. There's funding for additional construction or rehabilitation of federal buildings that you know, our AWS product line could take advantage of. There's funding for a lot of highways funding. So, you know, potentially a stormwater projects could be eligible for that. So there's really like a, a lot of great opportunity coming our way. As for the breakdown of the water infrastructure, it's largely going to flow through the existing uh, state revolving fund program. And it's, you know, some of the priorities that Congress set aside were funding for the treatment of emerging contaminants or, you know, funding to target small and disadvantaged communities. Funding for lead service line replacement, that's another high priority in the infrastructure bill. So there's a great deal of opportunity and, and we're continuing to kind of track the rollout of that. So maybe with that little uh, backdrop, I'll, I'll turn it over to Eric to share his thoughts. Thanks, Josh. Amanda, I guess what I'd like to do to sort of follow up on what Josh was saying is go up to the sort of mid-level range, I guess you were saying like 3,000 feet, I'll go to 1,500. What I wanted to suggest, everything Josh said is really spot on about the commitment we're making to infrastructure writ large. And for the water sector, you know, when you look at historical funding trends, we haven't seen this kind of money going into the water sector since the 1970s when the Cuyahoga River caught fire. And the Congress's and the administration's response was to pour money in to upgrade the nation's public wastewater treatment systems. What we're seeing in this is a similar watershed moment, excuse the pun. We are at a point now where this infrastructure bill is making a significant turn in how this country at the federal level devotes its resources to the water sector. And I'm specifically talking about disadvantaged and underserved communities. The money that Josh outlined, elements of each of the programs that are funded, have set-asides to ensure that those communities across the nation, urban, rural, and in between, that haven't benefited in the past for whatever the reason is, are going to get a piece of this infrastructure pie, if you will, a slice of it, to build the facilities they need to address safe and reliable water supplies. As Josh mentioned, the lead and drinking water issue, and moving lead service lines is an example, but also, the fact that the core water sector programs through the state revolving loan fund program that Josh identified 
there are going to be set-asides to make certain that these types of communities get a piece of the infrastructure funding action. Josh, I think, you know, the other thought I had when you were talking about this, Josh, is the fact that this, as you point out, is a huge amount of money. And at the end of the day, it's all about how do we get it spent? Uh, I don't know, Josh, if you have any thoughts, but I was thinking that, you know, that probably is falls into the category, be careful what you ask for. We got some record amount of money now, as you pointed out, over the next five years. And let's also not forget that every year going forward, there's still the annual appropriations process. So at the end of the day, this is just the start of the commitment at the federal level for funding of water infrastructure. Josh, I don't know what you think, but that's sort of where I'm coming from. Yeah, uh, and I think that raises a very interesting policy consideration. And in my view, there's going to be enormous pressure on the administration to ensure that funds are spent quickly, responsibly, without waste, and that pretty soon, once projects start you know, coming into fruition and grants funding starts getting out the door, the administration can show that their investment of time and capital to push this across the finish line with Congress in a bipartisan way immediately shows dividends. I think one thing I would be a little nervous about if I was in the administration is most of these programs have funding dedicated to the inspector general's office. So there's going to be you know, a lot of oversight to how they spend the money. In addition to that, a lot of states and local governments, it was anticipated that there was going to be a pretty massive shortfall of revenue for a lot of state and local governments in the midst of COVID. And it turns out, you know, with sales tax and other revenue raisers, that really hasn't played out. So a lot of state and local governments are, are actually doing pretty well on a financial basis. And you layer on top of that significant growth in federal spending. And then on top of that inflation, there are some complexities in administering this fund in a way that is able to develop as many projects as they had hoped and create as many jobs as they had hoped. So there is challenges in, in getting this money out the door. And, and I think the administration is currently trying to staff up and increase their ability to, to get this money out the door as soon as possible. Yeah, Josh, I was going to say, uh, you raised a good point. If this was a movie on infrastructure, we could call it Back to the Future, because many of the people that are in charge of addressing what you pointed out, which is get the money out the door and make it work, you know, they were there for President Obama's American Reinvestment Act, the last big stimulus bill. And I think, you know, President Biden, when he was vice president, probably got a front row seat on some of the challenges of turning policy and funding decisions into actual projects. So I think you're absolutely spot on, Josh, when you say, you know, this is a complex program that they're implementing and they're going to have to work really hard to get this working efficiently so that communities can put shovels in the ground and build these projects. This is really teeing me up for what I think the, the essence of this conversation really comes down to, and that is we have this massive piece of legislation with all these different individual programs and these these different aspects, right? You mentioned water, Western water infrastructure, um, underserved communities. So how is this actually going to work process-wise and how are they going to make an impact at the community level? So what what is the process? Some of our customers may be in the municipal and or utility space. Like what would the process be to start actually getting after some of these funds? That's really a key question. For quite some time, we've been looking into and grappling with, which is there's such optimism and high expectations when you throw out numbers like $66 billion for water infrastructure or, you know, $4 billion for PFAS treatment in, in drinking water. And 
there's an enthusiasm for what that could mean for communities, but oftentimes there's a huge divide between that top line number that Congress is making available for spending and utilities or communities and, and how they access that. The answer, I guess, for how do these communities and our customers take advantage of infrastructure funding largely hinges upon the particular program that the money is going to flow through. So for instance, the state revolving fund program, that's kind of a year long process where there's public comments for you know utilities to submit their proposed projects to the state, which administers their own funding under the program. There's a comment period. And once certain you know preliminary engineering work is done, Ultimately, the state kind of determines, you know, their priorities and eventually money kind of flows. So that, that's a little more of a lengthy process. In terms of grant programs, you know, you use the example of Western Water. The Bureau of Reclamation is going to administer $8.3 billion. They have already issued a uh, preliminary spending plan. And then they will, using existing formulas for their programs, let's say it's, you know, Title 16, or let's say it's the Water Smart Program for water conservation, they'll put out, you know, funding opportunity announcements and, you know, utilities and our customers will have an opportunity to apply directly for those grant funds. Okay. That's going to, you know. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. I just realized that we're talking about the Western water infrastructure aspect of the legislation. And I don't know that everyone in the audience knows what we mean by that. So if you could sort of set that up for us so we understand that piece of it, and then I think everything will fall into place. That makes sense to me. So the $8.3 billion that were appropriated to the Bureau of Reclamation is money that is primarily oriented towards the 17 Western states in the United States. These are quote unquote reclamation states that are west of the 100th meridian. They have kind of this special status and almost their own agency in the federal government because west of the 100th meridian, the annual precipitation tends to be less than you know, 10, oftentimes even less than five inches per year. So this whole, since the mid 19th century, this whole kind of culture and, you know, kind of water infrastructure agency evolved to ensure that the West was settled. It gave rise to Phoenix and Las Vegas, and in many ways, even Los Angeles. So the funding that flows through the Bureau of Reclamation, this $8.3 billion, is kind of carved amongst several different programs, ranging from you know, things we're directly engaged in in asylum, such as desalination or water reuse, water recycling, to other kind of more generic pots of money, like you know, replacement of aging infrastructure. So that was some of the um, programs I was alluding to that soon the you know those programs are going to start sending out funding opportunity announcements for you know, our customers and, and Western water users to access that funding. Eric, any, anything to add to that? Yeah, I, I would just say, you know, aside, we talked about earlier, you know, that this is a huge win for modernizing and addressing the future needs of our infrastructure on the water and wastewater side. But this issue that you bring up, Josh, on the Western water side, you know, the subtext is how do we create a drought resilient future for the Western United States? And I think that's part of what this $8 billion that Josh pointed out it's all about, which is, you know, we have to put those types of projects in the ground that will address the future needs of the West, i.e. climate resilience, as opposed to just, hey, we have to put together another irrigation project. It has to be smart. Uh, and it has to be one that uses technologies, many of which Xylem is responsible for developing and making available. 
to agencies and irrigation districts across the board and industry that would benefit the West. And I think at the end of this whole process, what I would like to suggest, particularly on the Western water side, but across the uh, board of water infrastructure is the fact that you don't have to have a shovel ready project. What you need to have is a project that is eligible for a shovel in the future years, because Josh pointed out correctly, this is a five year bill. The money is in place already through emergency appropriations. So I would say, Amanda, from a sort of how do we get to the money? Don't get focused on, hey, do I have a shovel ready project? That's not the litmus test any longer. How do you prioritize these projects that are going to come in and some of them are going to be at various stages of realization? Well, the good news, bad news story is that the feds are going to tell the states what kind of approach they should use to comply with the expectations at the federal level, i.e. a plan of implementation. Some of this is already baked in. State Revolving Loan Fund program that Josh identified as a source of most of the money conduit, if you will, they already have a plan of action or process. It's called the intended use plan, where the states ask localities for projects. They review those projects to see if they're eligible. And then they put them on the intended use plan, which is basically a priority ranking of projects. So I think that's part of the answer, Amanda. And I think more globally, Amanda, when it comes to you know priorities for water infrastructure, you know, we have identified several areas or trends that will largely be huge beneficiaries of the spending. So aside from the state revolved loan fund program, I alluded to earlier, PFAS and emerging contaminants has close to $10 billion of funding. That is clearly a high priority for Congress as far as getting money out the door to target those areas. Disadvantaged and underserved communities that Eric alluded to, you know, there's a lot of incentives built into the law to ensure that these communities who have historically underutilized federal funding, that they get a leg up and they're able to take advantage of the funding more so than they have historically. Tribal communities received over $4 billion of funding. A lot of these communities, you look at the Navajo Nation, still struggle with basic water and wastewater treatment services, but you know, a lot of other tribal communities have aging systems and there is a lot of money for those communities to get them up to modern standards. And even in you know, some cases, look towards the future and how to modernize their system for resilience in the future. There is a lot of money for kind of regional water quality initiatives like the Great Lakes Initiative or Puget Sound or you know, Biscayne Bay, Lake Pontchartrain, Gulf of Mexico. You know, so there's a lot of pots of money for kind of, you know, very regional water quality solutions. And then, as I mentioned earlier, lead service line replacement is, is another huge priority under the bill to ensure that communities aren't continually plagued by access to lead or exposure to lead, which we all know is unsafe at any levels whatsoever. Amanda, I was just thinking also that some of this money, a lot, actually a lot of this money is going to be competitively bid and from the federal level as opposed to the state level, and maybe in some instances the state level. On a more mundane level, the successful applicants, when you say, how do you get to yes, if you will, it's going to be putting together a proposal or response to a request for what have you, that it checks all the boxes correctly. And the reason that sounds sort of like a given, but what you need to be aware of is that there's going to be a lot of paper coming to the federal government on these funding opportunity announcements. And they don't, frankly, right now have all the staff to push things through quickly. As Josh said, they're hiring up. But the key is going to be when you put a proposal in, 
that it, it checks all the boxes, as I say, so that you don't get kicked out of line and ask for sort of a, a rewrite, if you will, that delays consideration of your proposal. I mean, that's one administrative issue. Okay. I mean, at risk of getting too far into the weeds, one of the questions I have for you both is what ways can Xylem help this process move forward? What ways are we already working on to help our customers get this process moving correctly? And are there specific recommendations we have? You know, just one thought that pops into my mind is some of these underserved communities, do they have the infrastructure to even go about creating a proposal for all these funds available to them? How are they, you know, how are we able to help them navigate this system as well? Yeah, man. I mean, that's a great question and something that we've put a lot of thought into, but we may not have all the answers. And I think one source of frustration, probably for a lot of communities and especially underserved or disadvantaged communities is there are so many different programs that are funded under this bill. They have their needs. It's not as simple as submitting an application with their needs. And then the federal government kind of figures out what program is best suited for their particular needs. What is actually the case is, you know, these communities have to have some awareness of the different criteria of the different programs to figure out where they should devote the time and resources to apply and pursue the funding. So that's a huge challenge and a huge barrier for a lot of of communities is they just don't have the staff, they don't have the time, they don't have the money to pay consultants to you know, comb through all of the eligibility criteria. So that's gonna continue to be an issue. As for what we're doing at Xylem to try to help with that issue is a couple things. One is through the Reservoir Center for Water Solutions, we hosted a webinar in late January where we brought together several American Water Works Association, Dig Deep, U.S. Water Alliance, several other partners of ours to talk about resources they have that could serve communities who are looking to navigate, you know, this this myriad of different federal funding programs. The EPA was provided with additional resources for technical assistance. So in that webinar, we heard from EPA Office of Water Deputy Assistant Administrator Bruce Pigott, who kind of talked about the resources EPA has available. So that's kind of one thing is, you know, there are different nonprofit organizations or their, you know, EPA themselves has technical assistance that is available. In addition, we're partnering with Quantified Ventures to explore several pilot projects to figure out whether we can proactively connect with some of our customers and match them up with a funding resource. So that's something that we're exploring, whether that could be broadened based on how successful that initial pilot program is. And then we uh, do a lot of work with Moonshot Missions, who has kind of a, a reservoir of formal general managers that can come and visit a utility and do kind of a half-day needs assessment and make recommendations and connect us with those potential customers if our products and services could be beneficial. We also are standing up, it may be available right now, but I'll, I'll have to follow up on it, some resources for our sales team, such as talking points, such as frequently asked questions. So something we're hoping eventually our sales team could share with customers as a guide to 
access this funding and, and create, you know, somewhat of like a hotline where we have a customer that's interested in funding, but just has no idea where to go, that we can connect them with people who can help them and, and, and ultimately open up the door for additional Xylem products and services to become eligible. That's great information. Hopefully we can catch up again in another few months and see where we're at and potentially share another podcast on progress. And, and if there's more information or more resources we can point people to, that would be great. Sounds great. Amanda, the one thought I have also is you think about how broad this bill is. Every agency is impacted at the federal level just about in providing assistance. And, you know, Josh mentioned stormwater and and transportation, what have you. The one thing to keep in mind if you're looking at opportunities is to remember this isn't a silo approach with respect to just EPA or just the reclamation, but rather it's entire federal domestic budget when it comes to dealing with water. That's a great reminder. And and actually it kind of gets at my next question and I only have a couple more for you. So thank you for spending so much time with me today. You know, we've been talking about how broad and large this bill is. Is there anything specifically that you're tackling immediately? Like are, are either of you digging into something specific right now that you're focusing on? One area that we have been focusing on of late is a particular provision in the bill referred to as the Build America, Buy America provision. And that's a provision in the bill that establishes new mandates in terms of manufactured products and their requirement to be manufactured in the U.S. to be eligible for federal funding. That's been something that we've been having very regular conversations with the administration and with Congress about. I think there are some current concerns, even beyond the water sector, about some of the unintended consequences of this provision. So that's one area that we're closely monitoring. OMB's Made in America office is developing guidance, and we're you know, regularly in contact with EPA and, and the administration to figure out a way to make sure that the guidance are issued to honor that provision of law, but in a way that doesn't unnecessarily slow down or burden agencies that are eager to get this money out the door. And, and certainly, you know, we want to make sure some of the very underserved, disadvantaged communities that we alluded to don't get caught up in, in that kind of compliance regime in, in a way that stifles their uptake of funding. So, so that's certainly one area that, that we've been focusing on. And the second area is much of the initial proposal for the infrastructure bill was aimed to not only just, you know, replace, you know, 19th or 20th century infrastructure with like infrastructure, but to be a little more forward-looking, to look long-term at some more innovative solutions, more modern solutions. So a lot of what we're doing is trying to ensure that a lot of Xylem's digital solutions and smart water technology are considered high on the list of uh, awards and that utilities you know, continue to get educated and learn more about the efficacy of these technologies in a way that they don't view it as kind of you know, futuristic, but that they're proven technologies that can save money and ultimately pay other dividends like reduce energy use. So, so those are kind of two areas that we're really working on after enactment of the bill. Eric, any, anything on your I, end? I would just say, I, I think I caught you shifting gears from 19th to the 20th century. I just think you were right when you said the 19th century, because when you think about, Josh, some of those communities, and particularly in the South, 
Think about Alabama's black belt that has been figured prominently in stories about how communities basically have nothing. They basically have outhouses or they have, you know, systems that are failing that go back to the, you know, the, the late 19th century as far as state of the art. I think you're spot on, Josh, when you say we've got to invest to modernize, not just build another plant, but to build another plant that has the most modern technologies to deliver cost-effective services for the future. Wow, this has just been so informative. Is there anything you want to add in terms of this or other initiatives you may be working on right now? I think a lot of this conversation largely revolved around water infrastructure, but I, I think Eric and I touched upon it from the outset that there are a lot of other opportunities. You know, the Department of Energy has, through their energy efficiency and renewable energy office has you know, over $16 billion of funding that can be used for building efficiencies, which oftentimes include products for you know, water efficient products. We're still, you know, combing through the bill and, and reviewing uh, announcements about funding opportunity announcements for further opportunities. There's money for cybersecurity, other resilience initiatives. So th there's a lot of opportunity and, and kind of sifting through all of it in a way that's tangible for our customers is something that we've made a lot of progress on, but we've got certainly more, more work to do in that thing. And I, I just close my comments at the end by restating what was earlier made clear, which is that this money is there. We're not going through annual appropriations over the next five years. The dollars have been made available. This isn't a bait and switch. The money is going to be made available. So we are on a uh, trajectory of really good results. I do just have one final question for you both. And Eric, you may be familiar with it, but maybe your answer is different this time around. And it's a question I ask every guest on Solving Water. So I'll start with you, Josh. What is the most important thing you've learned in the water business so far? Ooh, most important thing I've learned in the water business. I don't know. I'm kind of stumped on that. Can I phone a friend with Eric and think about it for yeah. a couple minutes? So I had the chance of having Josh give me some time to think. Here's what I've learned. It never rains where you need the water. <laughs> In all seriousness, Amanda, I think what I've learned is, number one, the, the public at large, even though these facilities are underground for the most part, when you don't have safe and reliable water supply, it becomes a real visible issue. Uh, you saw it in Flint, Michigan. You see it in the Western United States. In our line of work, we always sort of ruminate about the fact that, well, we're not like highways where people can see a pothole. That's true. But when, when there's a sinkhole because of main ruptures or when there isn't enough rainfall or in the third year of a catastrophic drought, you know, the public speaks up and they will commit the tax dollars or want the tax dollars to be committed to fix the problem. That's what I've learned. For me, it's just when I think I have a handle on a particular water policy issue or concept or framework of how water is administered or utilized, something happens that reminds me that I've got a lot more to learn. And one nice thing about joining Xylem is, you know, I came from a committee where I was the water expert on the committee, and now I join a company of all water professionals, and I have this unlimited resource of highly trained technical experts in the field. In many ways, you know, I'm kind of more the, uh, the generalist and, and relying upon the experts. So it's, it's been kind of an interesting about face for me. Well, that's great. I, again, thanks to both of you for being here. 
It was a, a wonderful conversation. I'm so glad that you were able to break down this topic into something we can all kind of get our heads around. So appreciate you so much for being here. More information about how Xylem is helping the industries we serve navigate the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act can be found in the show notes. And as always, contact me at amanda.holloway at xylem.com to share your ideas and feedback. Thanks again, guys. Thank you, Amanda. Amanda. Thanks for tuning into Solving Water, a Xylem podcast. Be sure to subscribe, stream, or download our content to be notified when the next episode is released. And to access our full library of episodes, visit our site on Podbean at solvingwater.podbean.com. Please reach out to me, your host, at amanda.holloway at xylem.com with show topic recommendations or to be a guest.